David and Vicky for leading us through the, the first part of that service this morning. Really appreciate just how you've pulled everything together. The Lord's Supper, remembering what He did for us, remembering who He is, and introducing us to the passage that we have in front of us this morning. I'm not sure there's much I have to add to it. Maybe I'll do the other part of the, the passage. Um, Breaking of bread is, is a great time, as you all know, just to focus on who God is, what he did for us, and what he continues to do in our lives. Because ultimately, our purpose is to glorify God and to worship him, to bring him the honor and glory that is due him. And what better incentive to do it? What better starting point than to be focusing on his love for us, his guiding for us, and what he did for the cross for us. We started holding this combined service uh, last January, and we started doing it as a trial basis. And uh, just to let you know that uh, there has been a formal decision made that we will continue this service. Uh, it'll be a regular part of our, our mornings, and uh, so we'll be doing, continuing having this combined service uh, the last Sunday of every month going forward. Last week, Carrie noted that Jesus made four claims, and he had three witnesses to them. So Jesus claimed he was equal with God his Father. Two, that he had God's authority. Three, he had the power and authority to raise the dead. And four, he will judge all. All of us will have to answer to Jesus one day. Carrie also noted Jesus provided witnesses as required by the law to prove his case, and he gave three. First was the testimony of John the Baptist, the second was his works, and the third was the scriptures. So this morning we're going to look at two of his works, and that provides some evidence or witness to the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, the one who had God's power and authority to raise the dead the one who is going to judge every man, woman, and child. If you're using one of the brown Bibles in the pews, our passage can be found on page 1,655. Again, 1,655. Before we open up his word, let's just start with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, We just pause and thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here. Thank you for the freedom we have to open your word and to look at it. Father, we just marvel that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who stills the waves, who controls the seas, created and cares for ones like us. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. It's only because of your love. And we just marvel at that. Thank you, Father. Father, we just just pray that you would help us as we look into your word. Pray that you would just open our hearts, all of our hearts, mine included, Father, to the message you would have us learn. We thank you for your word, for your spirit. And just pray your guiding spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. John 6, uh, reading from verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, 
And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The events we're going to look at likely took place about six months after Jesus healed the man at the pool and made those claims about himself, the ones that Carrie told us about last week. It's close to the time of the Passover, and this is the second of three Passovers mentioned in John's Gospel. The first is in chapter 2, where Jesus cleanses the temple, where the merchants and the the money changers were. The second is this one, and this is the only one where we find Jesus in Galilee at the Passover. And the third is about a year later, and it's Jesus' final Passover, when he's on his way in In John 11, we see that he's on his way into Jerusalem. And that's the time when he's going to be crucified. So our passage this morning starts with just the people still following Jesus. And John tells us that at this point, it's because of the miracles he performed on sick people. Many of the versions of the Bible speak to Jesus going up to a mountain. The New Living Translation reads, Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And the area that he likely went to is known as the Golan Heights. This is where he performs the miracle with the loaves and the fish. And this miracle is found in all four Gospels. Now the other Gospels indicate Jesus and his disciples had been with the crowd for a while, so he knew that they had nothing to eat. He knew they were going to be hungry. And it's at this point, Jesus asks Philip a rhetorical question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why Philip? I'm going to suggest probably because they were probably close, close to Bethsaida, and that was his hometown. So he probably would have had some knowledge of where he might be able to get some stuff. The New Living Translation says the men alone numbered about 5,000. Matthew's account notes that there were 5,000 besides women and children. So we know there's probably about 5,000 men, but there could have been as many as 15 to 20,000 people there. That's a lot of food. Andrew notes there's a young lad with five barley loaves and two fish. And so what happens? Jesus gives thanks. He breaks them. It's passed around. Everybody eats their fill. And there's still 12 baskets left over. Amazing. Hmm. 
5,000, 15, 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish. Now, some people might try and tell you the numbers are wrong in the Bible. Like the preacher who was so nervous when he forgot his notes that he preached about the time Jesus had 5,000 loaves and 2,000 fish to feed the people. So a man in the congregation jumped up and said, even I can do that. And the preacher later realized he had mixed up the numbers. So the next week he preached again and used the right numbers and asked the man, yeah, now can you do that? And he says, sure I can. I'll just use the leftovers from last week. (laughs) Now, some would try to tell you that other people saw the boy offering up what he had brought and so they took out their food as well. So they had a big bring and share. And the miracle there was that everybody shared their food. If that were the case, I think Jesus might have said something different, maybe a parable about sharing or something like that before he did that, gave thanks. Let's be certain. There's no trick here. There's no sleight of hand or illusion where Jesus said, watch me over here while he brought food in over there. He multiplied the loaves and the fish. He just did it. Jesus was and Jesus is fully God and fully man. No different from the time he turned water to wine. No different time from the time he healed the official son or the man at the pool. This was a miracle that Jesus did. There are a couple of other details worth noting in this. The first one seems fairly obvious, but the situation was hopeless. There was no way the disciples were going to be able to feed everybody. As it was noted, it would probably take eight months' wages to give everyone just a little taste. So there's no earthly solution to this. And more importantly, the disciples realized this was the case. Then Andrew comes forward and says, here's this young lad with five loaves and two fish. The second thing worth noting was just that these were barley loaves. Barley was the food for poor people. Uh, In some circles, it would have been considered food only fit for the animals. And it's apparently Roman soldiers would be forced to eat this bread as part of a discipline called decimation. So it wasn't the richest affair. The third thing to note was that there were leftovers. Anyone ever notice how much food goes into the garbage can after a church meal? Most of it probably comes from what's on people's plates, but some likely from small amounts left on the serving table. If you note in the passage, Jesus ensures that all the leftovers are collected, and that was a requirement in those days. And they filled 12 baskets. The leftovers were called the pia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And they were collected and given to the slaves. And they had the baskets in this case were probably small wicker baskets. And so they had 12 of these small baskets, these 12 of these wicker baskets to give the pia to the slaves. How many disciples were there? 12. Verse 14 says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people knew Moses had provided manna for the Israelites in the desert. 
Actually, God provided it, and Moses kept telling them that. But they seemed to attribute everything to Moses because he spoke to God on their behalf. And it was Moses that they always went after when they weren't happy with something. They figured Jesus was the prophet referred to in Deuteronomy 18.15, which reads, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you like me, sorry, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So the people thought Jesus was this prophet that Moses spoke about. They wanted to make him king. They wanted to take Jesus and have him lead them as a nation to meet their physical needs, provide them food, heal their sicknesses, and fix the problems that they were having with Rome. And Jesus was having none of this. And later on in John 18, he makes it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. And I think Jesus also knew that him let, letting them grab him and make him king would cause all kinds of problems with the Romans. And there's examples in Acts as to what happened when the Romans thought there were insurrections, or maybe there were, and they put them down pretty harshly. And that wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't why Jesus was there. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three, or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Jesus doesn't go with his disciples, and it gives him another opportunity to demonstrate his divinity. Matthew's Gospel tells us Jesus made the disciples get into the boat ahead of him and go to the other side, and then he dismissed the crowds. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And so off the disciples go to Capernaum. It's dark. The wind picks up and the sea begins to churn. It's getting rough. After they've rowed about three or three and a half miles, five or six kilometers for those who grew up in the metric system, around, but more importantly, it's around halfway to their destination, they see Jesus walking on the water. And as we heard in the the sermon, the preacher's sermon earlier, they probably thought he was a ghost. Superstition held that the appearance of spirits during the night brought about disaster. And I'm sure if we were in that situation, we would have been just as unnerved as them. In this boat, in danger of being capsized, and here comes something, we know it was someone, walking on the water. And Jesus reassures them, he says, It is I. Do not be afraid. In other contexts, this phrase could be translated as, I am. Don't be afraid. I am here. Now, I am could be a reference to Exodus chapter 3, where God told Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And they, Moses says, Well, what am I going to tell them? Or who am I going to tell them sent me? 
In Exodus 3, 14, 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So in doing this, Jesus points out his divine nature. In his messages on previous chapters, we heard about some of the claims Jesus made. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. We'll hear more about that to come. I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd, the true vine. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His is the only way. We can't save ourselves. And if we're going to live the life that God wants us to live, we can only do it through him and with him. As is the case with the miracle of the loaves and fish, some would try to tell you Jesus really didn't walk on the water. From the accounts in Matthew and Mark, we learn this happened in the fourth watch. So somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. So the disciples would have been exhausted. Some would argue their eyes were playing tricks on them and they never saw what they think they saw at all. Others suggest that Jesus was really walking along the shore and not on the water. I believe that he literally walked on the water. He did this again to demonstrate he's the sovereign one. He's the one who controls the wind and the waves. No big feat for him to do this. He created everything, he sustains it, and he controls it. A few of us were wondering uh, at the barbecue yesterday what month we'd be able to walk on the water in Wally's pool, uh, whether it's going to be November, December, or January. Needless to say, all those who went into the pool yesterday went into the water. They didn't stay on top of it. The disciples had been working hard to cross the lake. Jesus gets into the boat and they suddenly reach land. Another miracle, perhaps? Psalm 107, verses 29 and 30 says this. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Matthew tells us the wind ceased when they entered the boat. And, when, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone, they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. The crowd knew Jesus didn't go with the disciples because he dismissed them, or he sent them off before the crowd was dismissed. And they must have wondered where he went because the text tells us there's only one boat and Jesus didn't get into it. So some may have guessed that he got into one of these other boats that came from Tiberias. But regardless... He's not there, and 
we can only guess that the crowd figured he went back to Capernaum as that was his home base. So off they go looking for him over there. So our passage began and ended with people wanting to be with Jesus. In verse 1 we saw that they followed him after he crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. In verse 24 we, people see, we see people going off in search of Jesus again who had by this time crossed the sea to Capernaum. So Jesus was an incredibly popular guy right now. He heals the sick. He provides food for the masses. People were following him because of the miracles he was performing. They were convinced he was the prophet Moses spoke about. They did not, though, understand who he really was. In his book called John, the Gospel of Wisdom, Michael Card notes chapter 6 is the hinge on which the story of John's gospel turns. It marks a radical shift in Jesus' ministry from his greatest moment of acceptance popularity to one of the darkest instances of offense and rejection. As we'll see next week, Jesus shocks them with his teaching and people start turning away from him because they don't understand who he is and why he's here. So come back next week to hear more about that. Why do we focus on these miracles? Why are they so important? You've heard these verses and you'll likely hear them again, but John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why we have this building, isn't it? It's why we gather week by week and sometimes in between. By the way, thank you, Wally and Cynthia, for opening up the, their home for the, the family barbecue last, or last week, last night, and for the great hospitality they've shown. Uh, truly a blessing. Thank you. Did you take off? <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> The God who created and sustains the universe loves each and every one of us. God wants each of us to follow him, to let him lead and guide our lives. He invites us into a personal relationship. Just think about that. Not that we deserve it, not that we've earned it. God's standard is perfection and all of us, me and each of you, have a problem with sin in our lives. We've all fallen short in one little way. Again, standards perfection, and none of us have met that. But this is why Jesus came to earth. Why he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And earlier we remembered the price that he paid for us, and we shared in the elements that remind us of the body and the blood, broken and shed for us. In return, we give him the honor and the glory and the praise that he so richly deserves. Jesus knows we need material things like food and clothing. In Matthew's gospel, the message is not to worry about these things. He'll meet our needs, maybe not our wants, but certainly our needs. And we're told, Jesus tells us, to seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added. Isaiah 55 says this way, 
Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. Jesus meets people in different circumstances. He meets people where they are, where we are, doesn't he? And he makes that connection to what's happening in each of our lives. For example, in chapter 3, he talked to Nicodemus, a leading teacher, an influential official, and he told him he needed to be born again. He also talked to a Samaritan woman at the well. And he revealed to her his knowledge of her past and current life. Very different situations. One who was following the law, who knew the law. One who probably knew it, probably wasn't following, well, wasn't following it to the extent that the other would say was right. But both were looking for something. Both knew that there was something just missing in their lives. And the answer to both was Jesus. Are you missing something in your life today? Is there something missing in my life today? Perhaps what we think is missing sometimes might be masking a desire to have a closer relationship with Jesus. That's what God wants. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with him through Jesus. A love relationship with him. If anyone here has never put their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, I'd urge them to do it today. We were reminded uh, at our house that life is fragile. Recently, life is fragile and unpredictable. We all make plans. I think most of us probably make some plans for the future, whether they're short-term or long-term. But we don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring, do we? We do know, though, all of us will one day have to face the one who has the authority to judge everyone on this earth. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he may be near, while he is near. If you haven't done it, don't wait, please. Earlier, I noted the leftovers, or the pia, would have been collected and given to the slaves. And we see from the gospel that there were 12 baskets and it just so happened there were 12 disciples. Later in John's gospel, we see the transition from him referring to the disciples as slaves or servants to friends. Verse John 15 and 15, No longer do I call you slaves or servants in some translations, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. The disciples didn't know how they were going to feed the crowd. The situation was hopeless. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and in the opening, we were reminded that Peter walked on the water, but when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Jesus did and still does things in ways that makes it obvious that he's the one at work. As we heard this morning, Peter said, Save me! And the response, O thou of a little faith. As we walk with Jesus, 
as we learn to trust him, he does things through us that it's really obvious only he can do. And it's his work, not our work. And it's a bit of a a cycle. We trust, he does things through us. We trust more, he does things through us. If you're like me, you like to stay within your comfort zone. There's some things I'm comfortable doing and there's some projects or assignments that I'm much more willing to jump into because they're in that zone. But God wants to stretch us. He wants to expand and work beyond our comfort zones. He wants each of us to trust fully in Him and see the miraculous things that He can do in our lives. And we sung about that earlier, didn't we? We have the... uh, I thought it was very interesting. The preacher's sermon to the shipwreck sailors. He's always with us. We can and need just to trust in him. Uh, Earlier I referred to Psalm 107. Let's just go back there for a minute. Psalm 107, verses uh, 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. But if we continue, it says this, Let them, I'm going to add, let us, thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them, let us, extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ask uh, Dave and Vicky to come back up, and we'll have a, a closing song. So, Amen. And there's an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring, and though the storms may come, I'm holding on to the rock I cling. Father, we have been singing from our hearts today, thanking you for all you've done, expressing our love for you. We thank you for your Son, who came to us, walking to meet our needs when he saw us afar. And we thank you for his saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen.